0: Hello, and welcome to New Hope Fellowship Online. I'm Pastor Greg Miller, and I'm excited that you are tuning into this message. I pray that it helps you grow in your walk with Christ and encourages you to dive deeper into God's word. For more information on who we are as a church, I'd like to encourage you to visit nhfchurch.org. If you are interested in partnering with us financially so we can continue to share the gospel message with those around us, visit NHF Church and click on Give. Again, thank you for being here and for listening. I hope you enjoyed this message. Ephesians 4 is a pivot point in the book as a whole. First few chapters as we looked at who Paul was, who wrote it in chapter one, and we looked into what God has done for us and what we have been blessed with. He reiterates the fact in chapter two that we have been saved by grace, what God has done through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not what we do, it's what's been done for us. And then he has two awesome prayers. And at the end of chapter one and the end of chapter three, really to emphasize that, that at the end of chapter one, we would understand and comprehend some of this stuff that God has done for us. At the end of chapter three, he goes, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church in Christ, really saying that all of this, he's praying for the church to be rooted, to be grounded, to realize that God can do immeasurably more than you could think or imagine. And the reality is we probably have great imaginations. If you have little kids, they have big imaginations. And he's saying right at the end of chapter 3, before he pivots, God is able to do far more than you think in and through you. And sometimes we limit ourselves, but God tends to take us at, when we're at a point of saying, all right, God, I'm done trying to fix it. I'm done trying to solve. God says, okay, now let me work and let me work through you. And so in chapter 4, he pivots to the really in the reality of I therefore, and if you were to highlight, circle, or underline I therefore, he's referring to what was already said. And so he's pivoting from this is what God has done, this is what you've been blessed with, all these good things. Now he's starting to get into, okay, now what do you do with it? What's the practical here and the now, the nitty-gritty? And so I'm calling the title, the sermon, is really the unity factor. And what this chapter goes into is kind of the house rules. It's the personal responsibility that we have as a household, as a family, of being a part of God. What are the house rules per se? And the biggest of them all is we're to be unified. So I'm, a, I'm a one of five kids. My we have There's three girls, two boys. I'm in the middle. So I'm kind of the peacemaker. And if you're a middle child, you are the forgotten child. I recognize you today. There you go. Yes, I, Sue, we got you. So as the middle child, as a peacemaker, I could work with my older siblings, I could work with my younger siblings, I could meander between them. The house rules were, we all love each other, but sometimes we can't stand each other. So kind of give you a barometer, when I was growing up, my sister, my older one, I won't name names yet, uh, she had a little keychain that said, treat me like the princess I am. Gives you a little insight into hers. (laughs) Then you had my other sister, who I'm very close with because of age-wise, 15 months apart, her and I would play for hours, but when we ganged up, when we formed teams in our sibling groups, it was me and Andrew and Susan and Catherine, which left out the baby, the fifth one, Lizzie. And so we loved each other, but Catherine always meandered and kind of picked and kind of did what, when we followed her lead. So we played house. She would always have to be the one in charge. We did anything. She was the one in charge. We loved each other. We would drop anything to go help one another. But the reality is that at times we couldn't get along very well. And Catherine had her own room. She had her door taken off her hinges at one point. When she finally went to college, and I thought, I'm going to get my own room now because we had a three-bedroom, one and a half bath house, very small. She went to college. My brother and I had room together all my life. My younger two sisters, they said, Nick, Andrew, we're going to put you in the basement together. And I'm like, Well, wait a minute. I'm. We're the next two oldest. Don't we get our own room? They're like, Your sisters don't get along so they're going to get their own rooms. And since, Nick, you can get along with your brother, you're going to share. We loved each other, but sometimes we couldn't deal with each other. And as we went and as we grow out, we still have relationships. with one another. We have friendships. We can talk. We can engage. And I say all that because at some points, my dad would tell you, as he lived in the basement first with my mom, and we were upstairs playing, doing our thing, me and Andrew, Catherine and Susan, you could hear Lizzie go from room to room. And usually there was a Lizzie, get out of here. And she would know where every one of us were by whose voice was saying next, Lizzie, get away. Lizzie, go away. And Lizzie would just say, I just want to be with you, family. We sometimes don't like each other, but there is a love there that even though we don't get along on every single point, there's a unifying factor that I know today that if I had something in need and I called my siblings, they would show up. Now, are we going to visit every week? Are we BFFs? No. There's a love, there's a care. On the main things, we all agree on. On the minor things, preferences, there's a difference. And that's what Paul is gonna get into at this point is that these are the house rules for the family of God, that we all have house rules that we grew up with. And some of you remember those house rules in your house. There's a phrase out there, if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. That is a true statement Because then dad's not happy. Then dad's going to deal with an unhappy wife. And then he's going to go to the kids because what are the kids? All of those things. But there's house rules. And the same apply to the church. That there's a unity factor that we are called to do. And Paul is saying, I therefore am going to talk about this unity that we have in Christ. There is differences. There is preferences. There is passions. There is all of these uniqueness. And yet at the same time, there's some house rules that he's going to speak to. And the first point is that is unity, he goes into this, unity is the biggest of issues. And Jesus prayed for unity of the church before he went to the cross. And Paul starts this way, I therefore, because of what was said, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And so Paul is saying, look, because of what God has done, I therefore, I'm already a prisoner in the sense of I submit, I follow Christ and of obedience, I urge you then, church in Ephesus, to walk, to live in such a way that it reflects what you have got in God. That because of what he's done prior, because of all these awesome things, because you've been indwelt with the Holy Spirit, because of the grace that's been given to you, because of these things, walk in a way that is worthy of your calling. And then he goes on to explain it, that unity doesn't just happen. This unity factor that Jesus prayed for Doesn't just magically take place. You look at churches, churches split. Why is there Second Baptist in a town? Because they couldn't get along with First Baptist. And then there's Third and Fourth, and there's Seventh. There's all of these denominations, there's all of these different churches. And the reality is, if we could get over the idea that we have our own fiefdoms and realize that as we look at the broad, big church, there's differences and there's preferences, and God's calling to each church is unique, is different. There's a unity-driving factor within all of it, and he goes in to speak about it, and he goes, the first part, unity doesn't just happen. Unity begins, first and foremost, with character. He'll get there of what this unity looks like, but he gets the whole concept built first to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. How do you walk in that manner? What should that look like? And the reality is that character matters. It begins there, he says in verse two, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And so if we pause at just verse one and two, he says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. At the same instance, walk in that way with humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. The reality is that's a choice. That is a heart and an attitude issue that these traits that are up there you choose to embody, you choose to act, or you choose not to. As I mentioned, unity is a choice. Unity doesn't just happen. When you hire people, there's kind of four things I look at as I've read, studied, looked, and done tons of leadership stuff on hiring people, and people look at hiring practices. They used to have just three, they added a fourth. The first one is character, character matters. Does the person have any red flags as their character? But then there's also competency. Can they do the job? Then there's the chemistry aspect. Do they fit with the team? And the fourth one that they just started to add is culture. Do they fit the culture of the place they're going to work at? So for instance of a church, do they fit the area? Do they fit the culture of the staff team And this? Just because you have the character competency doesn't mean you can actually fit the culture. There's all these concepts, but all of those things are important because it all fits together. And the reality is, in our culture, in our day and age, as we look at the culture, unity is something you have to keep after. You can't just expect it to happen. You have to engage it. And so he says, first and foremost, to engage the unity, to engage, you first start with character. And do we not look around at our culture today and say, character is kind of second fiddle? If you have the skills, if you have the abilities, you could care less about your character. You look at a quarterback in the NFL team of the Cleveland Browns and what they did. The guy can win football games, the guy that's benched currently, but his character is stained, and yet they're going to pay him an an enormous amount of money to win football games at the cost of character. And Paul is saying, you're to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, and how do you do that? With humility, with gentleness and meekness. What is humility? Humility at its core is really gospel humility, and Tim Keller writes this. He goes, the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself, or thinking less of myself, it is thinking of myself less. You think, really? Here it is again. Humility is not thinking more of myself or less of myself, it is thinking of myself less. That when you're engaged in a conversation, you're not ready for the, how do I respond to this? It's listening, it's active listening, it's taking a vested interest in someone else. It's asking good seeking questions of just being inquisitive. What do you do? Not just, what do you do? Okay, let me ask some further probing questions and not looking for a quick, oh, let me tell you about my day. Oh, that was, you experienced this? Let me tell you about my bad experience. Oh, you're sick? You haven't seen my sickness. Gospel humility says, well, I'm okay with who I am. And I don't think more of myself or less of myself. I just don't always have to be the center of attention and the centerpiece. I'm curious about you. Humility is there. And in the culture that Paul is writing this, humility is one of those character traits that was just not spoken of. In fact, it was less than in most instances in the Roman and Greek culture, humility was very much frowned upon. It's all about you, and you, and you, and pride, and arrogance. That's what was floated. And and Paul is saying, and Jesus has said, humility matters. A second one, he says, and there is gentleness or meekness. Proverbs 15.1 says, a soft word turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger And Max Lucator writes, gentleness or meekness is strength under control. I like that. Strength, but under control. In the sense that humility says, it's not about me, I'm just curious about you. I don't think too high on myself, I don't think low, I've got some confidence. Meekness is that ability to say, I know who I am, I can turn away wrath when you're coming at me or you're upset or you're angry, to have a kind word instead of poking the bear or stirring it up, as we do in siblings, Right? When you have a sibling and you know every button to push, I know all my siblings' buttons, I would push them at times. And yet, we're called to be gentle. We're called to be meek. Not weak, meek. Of that ability to have our strength and knowing where we stand, but under a control. I have little kids and we sometimes say, Judah, gentle hands, because he doesn't know yet that when he slaps you, it can hurt. He's learning. He's learning. So it's gentle hands, gentle hands, as Alicia will constantly tell them, and I'm picking up on gentle, gentle, because they don't quite know yet. And we sometimes run on, well, we should be gentle, we should be fighters. It's, no, there's a, there's a point to being gentle. There's a point to being meek and humble. And the third one he gives is patience, which if you ever pray for patience, beware of the situations you're going to find yourself in. Patience is that One thing that we'd always don't like in the culture we live in, it's instant. Now, now, why do I have to wait? Why should I have to wait? I want this. Why are we not doing this? We get impatient. And they say, no, bear with one another in these things. And bearing with one another in love is more than just simply tolerating someone. It's seeing them for how God sees them. Even though when they grind you and drive you insane, you see them how God sees them. And you're patient with them, though they frustrate the tar out of you. You are patient with them, and that's what he's calling us. He goes, "Okay, first and foremost, we're to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, and that begins with our character. Which means here's what you should be displaying and modeling: humility, gentleness, meekness, patience, and bearing with one another in love. It doesn't mean you get pushed over. It doesn't mean you don't have boundaries. It doesn't mean you just or uh, walk all through. No." But it is humbling yourself. It is being patient with other people. It's diffusing the situations. It's this unifying factor that if we have these character qualities, unity starts to come and be a part of who we are. Because the very next verse in verse 3, is it says, "'You're to walk in a manner worthy of your calling with these character traits, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace.'" So unity in action means that if these are our character qualities, our action point is actually we're called to be peacemakers. And you think about that for a minute, we're supposed to eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, meaning unity is not just simply an option, it is a requirement, and that you and I, as displaying these qualities, we're to be peacemakers, so I said I'm the third child, on the middle, I'm kind of the peacemaker per se, and only from the standpoint of I could see from my older siblings what I should never do and how to avoid getting in trouble, and then I could linger and meander with the younger ones, I'm like, if you just answer mom and dad's questions, you'll get away with everything, just listen. You're this peacemaker, and sometimes you could in, enter a situation, it's not always the third child, but what Paul says here is in the bond of peace to maintain the unity, Peacemakers that we're to have one, what are peacemakers? What do they look like? Peacemakers have an honest outlook. They're willing to say it. They're willing to see it and call it what it is. They're not going to color it over. They're not going to say, wow, that's just let's just ignore the problem. No, they're going to see the problem or they're going to see good and, and call it what it is. They're honest. They're willing to risk pain in the sense that they're willing to step into the fray to risk being misunderstood They're willing to step in the fray to hurt someone's feelings, per se, because they're getting called out, but they recognize something's wrong. They give an honest assessment, and they're willing to risk the pain of going into the situation. The third part of a peacemaker is that they're a fighter, literally a fighter in every sense of that word. But right before that, the character traits of this peacemaker, this fighter, it is not with a thoughtlessness or recklessness but rather the peacemaker embodies humility, gentleness, wise and discerning. But most of all, a peacemaker is loving. Why? Because they see the best. They give the benefit of the doubt. They look at people the way God sees them and realizes if they don't know Jesus, man, they just don't know Or they know Jesus and they're growing in their faith and they're patient with them because they haven't quite got there yet. And there's this patience, there's this reality and willingness to step in and get the muddy part of life to be a peacemaker for the sake of unity. The majoring things, the big things, because Paul then goes on to explain what are those main things. You're eager to maintain the bond of peace, this unity, because there is one body, there is one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And he's saying because of unity, we are all unified on these main things. There's one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and God is the Father of all. Those are the main things. We're unified on those fronts, that there's one way to heaven, Jesus. That Jesus, he was the Son of God, the doctrine, the key truths unified on the mains were to be peacemakers because of it. Because of all of this, there is only one faith. There is only one God, one baptism. One commentator writes this about the peacemaker, how beautiful true peacemakers are. Filled with peace themselves, they are honest about the state of the relationships around them. They are honest about what is in their own hearts and sensitive to where others are. They refuse to say, peace, peace, when there is none. They are willing to risk pain, misunderstanding to make things right. Peacemakers will even fight for peace. Are we like that? And he's saying, look, the house rules, we're to be unified. We're to walk in a manner worthy of our calling with these character traits. And because we have these character traits, then we embody this into being peacemakers. Jesus said that in Matthew chapter 5, when you see the Beatitudes, he writes this. Jesus speaking in Matthew 5, he writes, And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, even when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And Jesus is saying, blessed are all these things. And Paul's just really fleshing that out. Blessed are the broken and hearted. Blessed are they who are peacemakers. The world around us, we need a lot more peacemakers. James writes, we're to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. God gave us two ears to listen probably twice as much as we should be speaking. And the world around us needs these character traits embodied that we need to be unified for the sake of peace Read Romans 12 and all about that. You get into the next part of this text and he goes further. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. There's supposed to be this unity in the church. And that's what he's driving at, these house rules that were to embody these character traits, were to be peacemakers. And so within the church body, we are one in Christ, but we are uniquely different. This is the beauty of it. One in Christ, there's one God, there is one faith, there is one hope. Grace gives us a new family, but it also gives us responsibilities within said family, which is what church is. It's about family. And though we all don't get along, and though we have different denominations, we have different churches, when there's a lot of Bible-believing healthy churches in an area, that's only good for the area. And yet each church has a distinct calling, a distinct culture within it. And unity doesn't just happen. Why do we kind of get a bad rep? There's all these denominations. What about these? What about them? And the reality is we tend to slander the other ones. That's what tends to come down. We tend to slander and say, we're better than this church. We're better than them. And they believe this and this. And it's majoring on the majors and minoring on the minors and realizing that at the end of the day, that a God-honoring, people-edifying, kingdom-advancing ministry, if there's many of those in an area, the area is only better for it. And we, at the end of the day, become really Sunday school options in God's big kingdom. We tend to look at church and say, this is my fiefdom. This is my church. And we don't want to let everyone, we're going to keep. Now, can we hold it with an open hand? That as people come, are they equipped? That New Hope's going to develop and grow into hopefully a unified church, which I would say we are, and continue with that. And it doesn't just stay unified. No, you have to be active. You have to engage. It means we rub elbows and rub shoulders. That's why connection groups exist, so people become known, people get heard, people get prayed for. All of these things, we are one church as a whole church across all the United States, across the whole world, but we're unique and different. And grace gives us that new family, but it also gives us responsibilities. And the house rules means that we're called to get along. i doesn't mean we have to do everything together, but we are called to get along We don't have to be in agreement on everything. Unity does not mean uniformity. Unity means we're unified, but we don't all look exactly the same. In obedience to Scripture, we're not method issues. Are we obedient to what the Scriptures say? Methodology can change. Methodology should change. How we do this, what ministries are existing at different times and up and down and changing, they're descriptive. It's not prescriptive in the sense that they describe different things. So different churches are going to have different things. And the truth of the matter is that preferences and passions, they're just that. They're preferences. They're passions. God has a unique assignment for each one of us, and so we don't want to superimpose our hearts or our passions on everyone, and we don't want to look down on others or envy others. So when we we have that comparison trap that we sometimes get in churches, or we sometimes look at other people, and we say, they've got this, why don't I have that? Instead of looking and saying, that you're doing job well done, let me applaud you. And, and if you're doing good, if you're honoring God, if you're growing, that's a good thing. Because he says this that the grace was given to each one of us, all of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift, meaning we each have been given gifts and abilities. And he says in verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip, which is what I say all the time, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, meaning. The shepherds, the teachers are all designed, my role is designed to equip others, to raise up others, to empower others, to do what they've been called to do. And each of us has an assignment. Each of us has a family. Each of us has co-workers. And God has placed us strategically in different areas to be his salt and light, to be the, his ambassadors, to be peacemakers, where you find your position, wherever that may be. And you can say, well, I'm not this, I'm not that. It doesn't matter. We're all called at the end of Matthew 28, you see, to go therefore and make disciples. Doesn't mean it's just the evangelists. Some are gifted in evangelism, meaning that they can they speak the gospel and man, people just start coming to Christ. I can't tell you how many times I've shared the gospel and people don't come to Christ. And then my friend Tim up in New York would share, he goes, Yeah, I talked to this guy and he got saved. And I'm like, How many times did you talk to him? He goes, Once? How did what? He's got a gift. People come, as he shares it, he just has a way of sharing it and saying it in such a way people come to know him. That's not my gift, but yet I'm still called to be an evangelist. I'm still called to share my faith. And the same, likewise, we're all unique, but all of these gifts are given for the building up of the body of Christ until, verse 13, we attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to mature manhood, to measure and statue. Why? Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. In essence, we're to be taught, we're to learn, we're to grow so that we don't go swaying this way or that way. That we're supposed to dive deep into our Bibles and to learn, to measure. But the truth of the matter is that we're all unique, we're all different. And part of the body of Christ, that's the beauty of it, is that everyone has different gifts, everyone has different abilities. It's the one place you think about it for just a minute. On Sundays, we gather for one purpose, at least at New Hope it is, to worship Christ. That's the point. The whole point of gathering on Sunday is not about me, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about opening his word and reading it and studying. It's about singing songs of praise, too. And about it. It's worship and giving. It's worshiping through praying. It's worshiping through discipleship and mentoring kids to all the way over to groups that happen after church. It's all of those things, but it's not about anyone. It's about Jesus. That's the point. And the reality is that there's a blend and there's a uniqueness to all of us. Because Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, if you read that for your homework this week you read, there's different gifts that he's given. Some of you are very good at encouraging people. Like you are just a, you come in a room and people just start smiling and think, oh, it's like sunshine and rainbows because you have this gift of encouragement. Use it. And some of you are more of the helps. You're behind the scene. You use your hands. You like to just work, but don't really want any recognition. Good. Use it. Some of you like to host, host. Some of you like to teach, you teach. We all have different gifts. Where we get bent out of shape sometimes is when I have a passion, I have this gift, and why isn't everyone else loving this gift, and why isn't everyone else jumping on board? It's like, no, that's not necessarily for everybody because we each have different assignments. We're unified, but we're different. We come together on account of Christ, and we work together for the sake of the gospel to show. Jesus said, you will know my disciples by the way they love one another. And many times people look at the church and say, I don't want to be anywhere near that because they bicker and they fight with the best of them. I talked to one guy before I had started down here and he was asking for a reference on uh, a search firm. You guys use chemistry to find me. He was asking a reference on that. I said, sure, I'll talk to you. He goes, he was on their board. And as he's talking to me, just saying, we've got to find a new senior pastor. Ours quit suddenly. He goes, I went to the staff meetings and I got behind the scenes. He goes, I wouldn't let my workers treat people the way they treat each other. I'm like, yeah, it gets a little dicey sometimes. He goes, if they would have told me this was the other side of church, I'm not sure I would attend. I said, I I understand. You got to change it. You got to get healthy. Truth is, we're also sinners, and unity doesn't just happen. Unity means we have to go be proactive for it. We have to engage with it. We have to be peacemakers. Lean in. When things get tough, we lean in. When things aren't right as they should, we lean in. You have a habit. You have done this, New Hope. You read about Third John, and you read about a guy named Diotrephes who's all about disunity. Where does disunity? Where does the unharmony come in? And well, what comes in with pride? It comes in with arrogance. It comes in when you look at I'm better than you, and I've got this, and it has to be my way. Power, impatience instead of patience, harshness instead of gentleness, kind word instead of harsh. And you see that in Third John with geotrophies, where John's saying, I'm going to come take care of this dude because he is causing disunity and division. And the truth is, it is much easier to tear down. It is much easier to pick. It's much easier to share our opinion and to destroy. It is super easy to do that. Look at social media. Look at the news for crying out loud. And you will see hate on display. You will see opinions raging. What you don't see a whole lot of is where's the encouragement? Where's the building up? Because it is much harder to build up something. It's much harder to be patient with someone and walk through life, even when they continue to mess up and screw up. It's much harder to go positive, and it's much easier in our world to go negative. Jesus, as I said, said, you'll know my disciples by their love for one another. Before the cross, his prayer was that they would be unity, like there was unity between Jesus and the Father for us and the Father. This means we have to be proactive. We have to be intentional about this unity factor. So there's three tests for the church that he kind of gives. And at the end of verse 14, this kind of finishes out this section where we'll be in. It's a two-parter, so don't worry. We're not going all the way through four. Verse 14 says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about for every wind of doctrine. And doctrine, that word just means truth, every wind of truth Because in our world, what is truth, right? That's what people say, what is truth? It's perspective, it's objective, it's whatever you think it is. And the real truth, if you want it, is right here. You hold it in the Bible. It's black and white and gray all over, but this is ultimate truth. And you can find truth in here. And he's saying, why do all these things, why do we walk in the manner? Why do we be peacemakers? Why did he give these gifts so that we may no longer be children? And children in the firm of being immature, He said, no, we're to be raised up, we're to be mature, so that we're not carried away by false truths, by human cunning, people who speak really well, who are clever, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. But rather, contrary, we're to be speaking the truth in love. We don't like to always speak truth in love. Keller's got a great quote, and I can't remember off the top of my head, but you need both truth and love. If you're all truth, you're too harsh. If you're all love, that's not really helpful and you're not really loving because you're not actually helping. Every one of us has blind spots. You need truth, but when you speak truth, it matters about your tone. It matters about body language. It matters about, do you see me, which is why I don't like to do any hard conversations over email because you can't see me. I don't like to do it over text because you can't see me. You can't read me. You can't see my eyes. You can't see that I actually care about you, and though it might be hard to hear, I want to do it in a way that is honoring to you. Even if it's got to be severed, even if something has to be said that's not very, it's not going to cause warm fuzzies. We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. And the truth is, when you go into the pieces and parts, each of the body, as God says, the church is like a body. There's ligaments, there's fingers, there's the pinky toe. That's like, what is that for? It's actually balance, I found out. So you do need that pinky toe for balance. The big toe is really more for, you know, climbers, those you like to climb. That's a huge piece. But you need ligaments. Why? Ligaments hold things together. You need the bones for the skeletal structure. You need the fingers. You need the eyes, the ears. You need all these pieces and parts. And Paul is saying, look, when we speak the truth in love, we, we, we built up. And to him who is ahead, which is Christ, when each part works properly, when each thing is doing its part without looking down on other parts or looking and envying at other parts, makes the whole body grow and builds itself up in love. Unity is never easy. It usually comes about and it's broken apart by selfishness, impatience, all the different denominations, biggest issue, as I said, we slander them. We're better. We do it this way. They don't do it that way. So, the three tests are this Are we growing in knowledge? Are we growing in love? And are we growing in service? And that whole concept, these tests, these knowledge for us as individuals as well, knowledge. Are you spending some time reading? Are you spending some time meditating? Meditation is just that you read some scripture and you just pause for a minute. What did you just read? Many of times we just read it, and we go through it, and we close it, and we like, check it off. Okay, but if you just pause for a minute, that's meditation. And knowledge is that. You should learn something. Yes, Sundays, I do believe that. In groups, you should learn something. You should be growing in your knowledge and the comprehension. There's a hunger and a thirst for righteousness that should start to develop. Jesus said, and Peter says in his book, in the first and second Peter, be holy for I am holy. We're to strive for holiness. You'll never obtain it, for the record, but we're to strive for it. In this life, you won't. We're to grow in love. Do we see people how God sees others? We tend to judge a book by its cover. We tend to judge people, and that's not saying you shouldn't be discerning or wise. But in the same instance, do we see people how God sees them? Because God sees them as fearfully and wonderfully made, that there's not a mistake, that they're divinely appointed every single human Do we see them how God sees them? Do we have compassion? Are we modeling empathy towards others? The same instance, are we growing in service? Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, put others above yourself, looking not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. In essence, are we growing in our ability to serve others? Sometimes it's just holding the door open. It's being nice, it's being polite, it's being kind at the end of the day, it becomes down to this dimmer switch reality that if we desire to become more like Christ to grow in maturity, we want that desire that and pursue that. It's like a dimmer switch. The more you want it, the more God will say yes and turn that dimmer switch up and you'll see more. You'll learn more. You will grow more. The less you want of it, guess what? You can turn that dimmer switch down. God isn't going to force that on you. If you want it, He's going to show. He's going to reveal. He's going to grow. And if you want less, that dimmer switch will go down, and God will remove and remove. And that's the truth for the church: is that we are to be unified. And unity isn't easy. Unity brings apart, but it values the differences and the ideas, the pieces, the parts. I can't do it all by myself. And you, as you more you get to know me, the more you get around me, the more you may regret going to breakfast with me or lunch with me because. I may ask something. I may see something. Say, hey, you do really good at this. Have you ever thought about this? Why does Gracie Griffin lead the senior high youth group? Because I said, well, Gracie, you could do this. What? And she's doing it. Why am I not leading the connection group? Because people have stepped up. and They've learned their gifts. Why is service happening around here? Why are different things getting? Because people are stepping in. And unity doesn't just happen. You have to go after it. You have to pursue it. Romans 12 ends with so far as it depends upon you, you are to live at peace with everybody, which means there's some things that you won't, you are going to fight and you're like, well, I'm not at peace, but I've done, have you done your part? You can't control anybody else, you can't make anyone else do, but you can do your part. And it matters, your character ultimately matters. And as you develop those character traits, you then become a peacemaker. And as you develop a peacemaker, then you start to use those gifts. And then we realize that the main thing is about Jesus. And Is God honored? Is people edified? Or is this king? Then we're good. And we're going to have our differences, and that's okay. But at the end of the day, have we done our part? Have we used our gifts? Are we at that point, those tests, are we growing in our knowledge? Are we growing in our love? Are we growing in our service for the betterment of the church? And so I challenge you that this week. As you go, ask those questions. Am I growing in my knowledge? Am I growing in my love? Am I growing in my service? And as you ask those questions, what trait do you maybe need to start praying about? Is it gentleness? Is it meekness? Is it humility? Is it patience? That tends to be a one for all of us. What is it? Start praying about it. Let me pray this morning as we close out. Lord God, we are grateful to be gathered here in your name. And as we think through, Lord, with this whole unity factor, that unity doesn't just happen. It's not just blind and doesn't just take its place, but it has to be intentionally driven, that people have to be constantly aware of it and seeking after. May we do that, Lord. May we embody those character traits, as Paul said. May we walk in a manner worthy of the blessing that we have received through your Son, Jesus Christ. May we embody this humility. May we embody gentleness and meekness. May we have patience with people we encounter this week, Lord, in our daily grind, in our daily lives, where we need a little extra patience, Lord. Would you give us the strength to know and to do that? And may we be peacemakers, Lord. In our families where we need to be peacemakers, in our work environments where we need to be peacemakers, or even just when we meet strangers, allow us to embody who Jesus is in all that we say and all that we do. And may we as a church continue to grow in that mindset that it's not about us, it is always about Jesus, that everything we do is about him and that every people, all the people we encounter, all the ministries that we do that come from New Hope, Lord, would be God-honoring, would be people out of finding, kingdom advancing, that people, as they interact with people from here, that they would see you on display. And as people walk on this campus, would they just sense your presence and the way they're treated and the way they responded to. May you guard our hearts and minds this week as we go about. We thank you for the beautiful day that this day is and the fall that is coming. We ask for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.